Hello, this is Chris O'Regan, and you're listening to The Sausage Factory. This is episode 355 of The Sausage Factory. Welcome. In this episode, I chat to Ryan and Sandlin Woodward of Subliminal Gaming about their multi-tiered adventure game, Button City. Multi-tiered. What does that mean? I mean, it appears that you're in a world made up of lots of little levels and you are a little fox. Yes. And you are... a child fox and your kid is that the right word i don't know fox children it might be kid i think it is anyway cub no it's a cub cub strange man but anyway be that as it may this is a great show about a great game a great adventure game really well put together of course it is because it's on the sausage factory only really well put together games are on this show and i always say it every week you can take a drink but anyway, this game is very good. The music is fantastic. You'll be hearing it. Well, you just heard a bit. It's very good, isn't it? It just gets better and better. And uh, you know what? Let's just listen to me from the past talk about this fantastic game to its creators, no less. Take it away, Chris. Ryan and Shandine. Hello. Hi. How are you? I'm fine. Who are you and what do you do? My name is Shandine. Um, I'm an artist and art director on Button City. And I'm Ryan. Uh, I'm a programmer and writer on Button City. So it's your fault then. All that wit. Honestly, <laughs> there, there are times when I've had to stop the game and just it's been quite funny. Some of it's very, very, very dry. Desert dry humor there. You <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Uh, yeah, we both came up with the story, but I did most of the pen to paper writing on it for sure. Nice. nice. So, <laughs> we'll delve into that later. Just keep our powder dry, as a very good friend of mine likes to say. But uh, before we delve into the details of the excellent, and I do mean that sincerely, everyone, excellent Button City, the world is better off with it existing. Trust me. Is uh, how did you make your start? Made in making video games 
Sandy, you can alternate between the pair of you, I don't mind. Oh, sure. Um, well, I grew up playing games, but I didn't quite know that video games was a was a career for a long time. <laughs> um, I got my start as a graphic designer um, and an artist. My mother was a tra- traditional artist. Um, so that's always kind of been in my background and what I wanted to do. And it wasn't until I met Ryan that um, I started working on games and he kind of brought me into that world. Um, and I just directly applied the skills I learned as a graphic designer and a traditional artist into game making. And it turned into something that I loved and I want to keep continuing. Nice. Yeah. How about, how about you, Ryan? How did you make your start making flashy lighting video games? Uh well, before professional, I guess, uh, there was uh, unprofessional. Uh, I mean, my first, I at least say my first memory was uh, of playing games. Like, I think I was at my babysitter's when I was, like, single digits. And uh, I think they were playing Mario 3. And I remember seeing the versus screen. Um, and uh, I couldn't control anything because I think they unplugged it, so I wouldn't mess with them. Um, I don't know. But uh, I started making games kind of in middle school, high school, after seeing a article, I think in GamePro magazine about like, here's how to make video games. And here's some free tools. And one of them was like RPG Toolkit, which was a free open source, um, you know, game engine to make like 16-bit RPGs. And instead of trying to make a RPG in it, I tried making a fighting game poorly. so uh, ever since then, I've just been working at it, uh, eventually working in museums, uh, doing museum interactives, and then uh, eventually going full-time indie. Nice. So really good sort of like path. Is like, you do see these game creation tools. I mean, Game Maker being one of the most famous. Also, it created Hotline Miami, lest we forget. I still can't fathom how they did that, but they did. <laughs> Um, still one of my favourites from those few years back now. It's best not to think how long ago that was first released because time's really fleeting at the moment. But um, yeah, it's uh, it's a really good story that people sort of going in that way uh, and actually sort of like delving in and realise it. Oh, it's just lots of cause and effect, pretty much. Yeah, okay, <laughs> that's fine. Yeah, so yeah, as long as you know your Boolean logic and you recognise it and you say, okay, this is a powerful tool. I can see why people use it and uh, then delve in. But you just have to buy into that really strange way of thinking, which is not natural, I've found. But, uh, some people are better than others. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I still wouldn't recommend using an RPG engine for a fighting game, though, even though like no. it was a really, really cool uh, little free engine at the time. Originally, yeah. uh, it's closed down now in terms of development. But man... Uh, I uh, I absolutely loved that thing, and I don't know. I would love to go back and do like a game jam with it again sometime. Mm. Mm. So, my next question to you is this, and this is to you both. You can answer as one, or indeed individually. I don't mind. But as creators, which you both are, what do you believe are your biggest influences? Uh, let's see. Do you want me to go first, and then you go? Uh, for me, um, oh gosh, uh, I guess like so many things, um, in terms of Button City, um, 
it was, you know, things like, uh, well, growing up in the nineties and like, just kind of like, uh, childhood experiences in, uh, with friends and getting into kind of like little adventures, like playing spy or, you know, uh, Pokemon came out around that time. So playing a lot of that, um, a lot of movies of the time as well. Um, like kind of like direct to VHS kind of movies, um, including like Kiki's delivery service um, for button city in terms of like overall, like design aesthetics um, for me, uh, I guess like I like to look at at least from like when looking at games and driving from games, like I like looking at um, what, core experiences there are and kind of doing a twist on it um with button city it was very art driven and aesthetic driven driven by shandine and we had to fit uh a game kind of around it um so when creating games at least for me i kind of see it as like a problem to be solved rather than just i i shouldn't say just but um rather than coming at it from a genre specific type of thing uh, or if I, if personally I am going at something uh, that's kind of like a genre, like say first person shooter is like, how can we uh, put a more core twist on it or something like that or unique twist on it? Um, and that's probably derived somewhere from life. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I don't know where I draw things from sometimes, honestly. It's a tough question to, to answer. I get that. And it's something that, you know, I do ramp up to and I do tell guests, oh, I've got this third question, which is really nebulous and it's hard to answer, but I think it's important to answer. It's an important thing to, to consider. Like, where do you get, where are you coming from? Where are you drawing your ideas from? Have you ever given it some thought? Maybe you've never really given it some objective thought, or maybe you have. I don't know. But, yeah. How about you, Shandin? Mm. Um, this is kind of a silly one, but I think it's at the base of a lot of things or how I I guess see the world. I love cats and yeah. the things that I watch um, and consume in media. I love it when they have cats involved. And that kind of <laughs> that's kind of channeled into into our game making of uh, City is obviously very cute. It has cats in it and I love things like Animal Crossing. Um that was kind of the inspiration for um some of the first artwork that uh, I was creating for uh, for the game or what would eventually turn into Button City. Um, and the main character is a fox, but I feel like foxes are very cat adjacent. That one we kind of stumbled upon by accident. Um, yeah, I, someone I, described I, a, a fox to me as a dog with cat programming. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, yeah, I mean, I can definitely see the Animal Crossing influence. Although I don't remember you don't remember any seeing any money laundering raccoons in the game. So. <laughs> uh-huh. I mean, I I've been playing the latest uh, Animal Crossing since it came out last year because it's kept me helped me get through certain events that we needn't dwell on in this fine show. But uh, I still play it to this day. Although I say play, it's all part of it's become part of my chore routine now. Like. Okay, I've done the laundry, ironing. <laughs> Have I weeded my island? Damn it, I didn't know. Hang on, good. Because <laughs> it's reached a... I mean, I've, I'm self-sufficient. I mean, self-sustaining. I don't own 
owe any money or anything. I'm just like, yeah, I love my little island there. There it is. I've just left it as it is, and I have a chat with all the inhabitants, and they keep giving me things for reasons I cannot fathom. But uh, yeah, <laughs> I can definitely see the influence there. That uh, that whole sense of uh, look, everything's okay, kind of. <laughs> uh, it's, it's, and uh yeah the whole cat thing i can do i mean i grew up with with cats and stuff and uh we never quite we never even after many years never quite fathom of, are they really smart or they just you just think they are don't know it's best not to dwell <laughs> <laughs> so the next question and this one's a little bit of a toughie too but uh it uh you can you can give me multiple answers as well. I'm not gonna narrow you down just to one. But uh it is this. What developer do you most admire in the industry and why? Oh gosh. Uh <laughs> there are a lot. Um I guess there for me there's always, you know, like the classic Miyamoto, there's uh classic uh AGA Onuma. Um um and like the entire Zelda production team, I always forget the current director's name on the Zelda series. He directed Minish Cap, Skyward Sword, and Breath of the Wild. Uh, yes, and yeah, his name escapes me too. Oh, right, and Minish Cap was one of my favorite Zeldas. I say that to people, and I get a double take from them. Like, it's really good, and it is. It's a good one. Um, there's there's so many. I guess like uh to draw attention to one that I guess who isn't quite as mainstream um, and not quite indie either though um, and I don't know their name unfortunately but is the developer of uh, Attack of the Friday Monsters. Okay. Um, he just worked on a Shinchan game that I think recently came out. Uh, they both are kind of this slice of life uh, game in Attack of the Friday Monsters. Uh, you play as a young boy in 1970s Japan uh, in a suburb of Tokyo. And every Friday, uh, monsters, uh, giant monsters come out to fight. Um, and you just go around this town and play card games and go through a cute little story. And uh, it's a wonderful slice of life game, honestly. Uh, yeah. I wish I knew that developer's name uh, makes absolutely great cozy games. Sounds wonderful. I must explain, explore it myself. Thank you for the hot tip. <laughs> Sandy, anything that uh, you, any people you point out and go, you there, you there, that's you. Carry on doing the thing you do. Oh, um, a lot of my influences come from people who work who are a little more involved in community building within the games okay. industry. Right. Um, there are a lot of people I really admire who are part of the indigenous game development um, yeah. community. That's where um, I'm most connected. There's a woman named Elizabeth Lepense. I really admire what she does for the community and the types of games she's making and how she highlights um, indigenous voices and stories through uh, game development. And that's kind of where I come from. Um, I also really admire the work that Rami does um, for game developers all around the world and in emerging um, communities. That's a fantastic answer. It's the unsung heroes, those who 
actually promote the community itself, the game creator community, and all those who support it as well, and bringing it all together and uh, making sure that, that everyone's look, 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 looked after because it is, it, it can be a very, very uh, self-absorbed and stressful industry to work in. And uh, sometimes, a lot, well, most of the time, people need to put their hand up and go, uh, help, and that's fine. Mm-hmm. Like I completely but, agree. Yeah. So, no, it's a fantastic answer. Yeah, Remy's made some, made some wonderful games in the past as well, you know, Nuclear Throne and the Trousers and all sorts of strange and wonderful games uh, that uh, deserve deserve the spotlight that they get. So my last question of the first half of the show is this. And we are a video game podcast, so therefore we have to ask this question, apparently by law. And it is this. What are you playing right now? Oh, I had to think about that for a second. Uh, <laughs> I just started playing uh, Final Fantasy uh, online, and I'm enjoying myself with that. Is this Final Fantasy fourteen? Yeah. Mm. Yep, I just started dipping my toes in. I got a subscription, okay. and I think I think I'm uh, fully immersed at this point. It's it's quite busy, isn't it? The screen I've found. I've looked at the screenshots and watched people play online and streaming, and there's a lot of icons. What's going on? Numbers floating over people's heads. How are you? You know, what's what's drawing you to it, other than any other MMO that out there at the moment? Oh, I think I I really enjoy the characters uh, mm-hmm. and running around doing quests. Um, as for oh MMOs, I think I do like that in general. Um, right. I think the the world building is just fantastic. Um, there's just something about the rhythm of the game and um, uh, all of the different classes. I think that are drawing me in right now too. Okay, okay. Have you picked a particular one, or are you still trying to find find uh, the best one? I'm going for Dark Mage, and then I've been also doing weaving. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Okay, as in like the weaving of of cloth. Yeah, it's the it's the costume making class. Right. Yeah, for the okay. crafting. Yeah, I mean that some some MMOs are good at the old crafting, and some not so much. Uh, but uh, no, it's it's uh, it does mean that you're helping others. I think the 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 most in depth one I encountered was Star Wars Galaxies, and I was a I was a um, an armor smith, and I would make this extraordinary armor for people and make lots of money. I remember doing that, but. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, that's what it's all about. It's sort of like creating a community and creating a, an economy, you know, player driven. Although that game was entirely player driven economy, you can imagine what that was like. Oh boy! Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was that was fun. That was. I keep telling myself that I did not waste my time. No, it was fun because the thing you experienced it was good. Uh, what about you, Ryan? Have you, you remembered what you played? It's threes, isn't it? Uh, oh gosh. Uh, so no on threes as a 2048 person because I didn't know threes was the original. 
Oh, um, gotcha. But but that's been a while it's, ago. It's just my go-to when I've all run out yeah. of ideas and go, what's you know, when people will say to me, what's the best game you want to see, make a see, film out of? And I, I just blurt out threes. They go, you sure? Yeah, I make an excellent movie. Come on. Just sliding panels. Great. I, uh, <laughs> um, outside of like my baseline Spider Solitaire, which is like, oh gosh, I just need to zone out. Mm-hmm. Um, I also have been playing some Final Fantasy fourteen. I'm a little bit further than Sean Dean. Um, okay. Or... Quite a bit further. I'm almost in heaven's door. You recruited me. <laughs> yeah, I recruited her. Um, that game, for me, I very much enjoy it, but like, um, it's very much kind of like a Lay's potato chip um, of games. Um, I guess it's very American to say it right there with the Lay's potato oh, I, chip. I can translate um, Walker's Crisps. There we go. <laughs> Thank you. Um, where it's like um, the quest like structure is very much like uh, just one more, just one more, just one more type ah, of thing. Moorish, okay, right. Yeah, and um, not to say that there's anything uh, against the quality of uh, Final Fantasy XIV. It's absolutely wonderful, high quality. It's just like it gets you in that loop of very much like one more thing. Um, outside of Final Fantasy XIV, um, I am also always playing like um, either Formula One or Assetto Corsa, um, just racing sims in general, uh, and racing uh, Formula E cars specifically. Um, very much uh, enjoy those, and uh, uh, started up the Dot Hack series uh, on PS2 again. Um, nice. Yeah. Um, they're, they're so those are come by. I mean, I have all those. They're great. They're really good. They're absolutely wonderful. Uh, going back to them, though, it's kind of funny. I'm just like, ah, oh, this this definitely resonated with my middle school self. I totally understand <laughs> why I love these. Uh, but as like a 30 year old, I'm like, man, there's some writing in here that's kind of funny. Yeah. They take that game yeah. so seriously. Like just know. in terms of world building, they're like, they must be on a role playing server for sure. Like they take it so seriously. And I commend them for that. I wish I could like take something that sincere at any point in my life. Yeah, I mean, the closest to got you know to that these days is Dwarf Fortress, but that's a whole different culture. That's very true. Yeah. And uh, yeah, yeah, I, I I can certainly you know see that as a thing. And uh, the uh, someone asked me the other day, I was streaming, I stream games on my Twitch as as one does. I stream variety of games on different platforms as well, not just PC games, all sorts of stuff. Um, I think it was a Saturn game I was playing at the time. And I said, Chris, what's your favourite PS2 game? And I paused, because it's a difficult question to ask, because there's thousands of them. Right. And for some reason, my brain just blurted out this name. And I thought, I just, oh, Tourist Trophy. Huh. And Tourist Trophy is the motorcycle sim made by Gran Turismo team, uh, Polyphony Digital. And they only did it once. And, they didn't do it. and I liked it. It was really difficult. Um, they really modelled motorcycle you know, riding to the nth degree on what is not a particularly powerful machine on reflection. But it, it was incredible. really was incredible. And I just remembered, yeah, it was a trophy. Damn fine game. And I just sort of blurted it out. And there, there's a, like people in the chat going, what? <laughs> what, is, <laughs> what is that? And then I, people were looking up and they're losing their minds going, wait, they did a motorcycle game? 
<laughs> that sounds amazing. Yeah, I never even knew they made a motorcycle game. Yeah, they did. They did. Only on the PS2. And huh. uh, but uh, I actually had a guest on. We started talking because he used to hear the reason we I mean, he was talking about how he spent his formative years making motorcycle simulations. He went off to do other indie games, as you have done, um, uh, King of Seas. It's a wonderful, wonderful game. And uh, it's nothing to do with motorcycles at all. Uh, but, you know, he said that the studio that he was working for, they they were required them to play tourist trophy in order to make motorcycle games. Now you need to sit there and play this so you understand what it really means. <laughs> To, like to, here's the standard we have to hit at least this type yes, of thing. That's to, that's amazing. Yeah, and it's similar to I know many developers back in the day, maybe even now, say, "Have you played and finished Chrono Trigger?" Right. Like, okay. Uh, personally, I have, uh, but it's a fantastic game, and I do understand why people go, "Yeah, you need to, you need to do that." It's like you know, you need to read certain books, or need to read in order to be considered like you have some knowledge of the medium i personally think that's horrible gatekeeping and that's not <laughs> something i would encourage but nonetheless i do think it's a wonderful thing to say that yeah you know what's funny about chrono trigger yeah. uh, at least for us um i only played like maybe five minutes of it shandine probably played like four hours of it but but she only stayed in the opening town for the cat part and she kept playing that mini game yeah, over and over and over and over oh, again. I was dedicated. I just wanted to come home to a house full of cats. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely. No, no, it goes to very dark places. It really does. The characters you get really attached to are the ones that get beaten around the head most of all. It's quite sad. And oh. that's the nature of the game. But, you know, time travel, apparently. Anyway, that's it for the first half. See, you made it. Well done. Music. Yay! Let's move on to the second half of the show, where we delve deep into Button City. So, before we can delve deep into Button City, I need to ask you what is known in these parts as the zeroth question. That's right, a nice moth reference if you're familiar with it. But this zeroth question is this. What is Button City? Oh, uh, an experience of uh, fluffy sky-bound magnitude and uh, 
dream ridden with arcades and bright lights of uh youth and uh adventure and um uh attempts at humor that sometimes land uh but really further driven by uh the wonderful aesthetic by our artists um it is a uh it is a stumble of fate that turned into something wonderful it is uh a dream come true it is um a life worth living it is um uh a critique on the uh american healthcare system it is a uh it is a whole load of references that when people ask us where are your influences for button city um i wish i just had a list that i could just give them so i don't have to list them all off all the time it is uh uh a lot <laughs> and uh it is also it also makes wonderful stickers so yeah. That's Button City, I guess. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, the healthcare thing, people often said, if, in fact, when Breaking Bad was first out, they said, here's Breaking Bad set in the UK. Lost about five minutes. <laughs> no. I mean, we're literally in the city of Breaking Bad. So yeah, yeah. I, I know it well. <laughs> so you know, you know exactly... Like, oh yeah, I've got cancer. Okay, well, let's get your treatment and and your bill, the parking ticket. <laughs> so yeah, so we we could I could whack. You know this. You know what we've got yeah. over here. In fact, you know we've got everyone else has got. Just but oddly, you haven't. But that's a whole discussion for another podcast. Don't you know this one? But <laughs> um, no, it's. It, it, I think. You're right, it is an experience, but in a mechanical sense, and forgive me for being so clinical, but one has to, because this is the sausage factory, and the, the name sort of like implies that we need to look at the underneath the bonnet or hood, or whatever you want to call it. Uh, sorry, the two nations divided by a common language. It's, it's strange. <laughs> um, you basically look at the engine of the game, and uh, we say, well, it is at its core. A point-and-click adventure with um, some awesome mini games and very strong and um, easy to to uh, get engaged with narrative. That's how I see it. Is that accurate? Yeah, um, I think like our like whenever we try to pitch it, it's like a narrative adventure about a fox in an arcade in the sky. Yeah. Yeah. It's in the sky. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Which leads me to my first design question. And here we go. Brace yourself. This is where we get into the nitty gritty of things. The layered navigation of button city. So everyone understands that you go into, you know, YouTube or, or, or steam or whatever, out there or just google button city not button moon that's a different thing <laughs> that's a children's tv show from the 80s not that no button city um if you look that up uh, you'll see this very interesting isometric kind of view of um the world which is made up of the layers and layers of things and little squares and you navigate them by just hitting a button. I played Button City with a controller uh, because 
I just, you know, prefer to play most games with a controller, regardless of what platform I'm using, whether it's PC or what have you. Doesn't matter to me. Um, I only use a mouse and keyboard when I'm playing RTSs or FPSs because, you know, obvious reasons. Um, so, and it just basically dematerialized and jumped between one level and the other. Um, I've got to ask, why? That was um, one of the design decisions that we stumbled upon um, right. in it. So when, um, when Button City was first being made, I was making some little art set pieces. And the first thing that I did, I, I made a little house and I made a fox live on the house. And I set it on this little diorama and it was just supposed to be that, just an art diorama. Um, we kind of decided that, like, I wanted the fox to move around and just, like, um, make kind of like a little proof of concept, not even really a game. And people on Twitter seemed to kind of like it when I posted it. Um, we were getting a lot of good feedback. And we decided, what if we did turn this into a full game, a full project? Um, and we were kind of bound by, okay, how do we turn this diorama art style into into a full world with different places where you can walk around and navigate. Um, and we had a few different solutions we were trying to think through. We want, we really wanted to keep that little, um, the old toy box diorama feel. Um, we thought of bridges or elevators, or if it was like set on like a cube that turned around. Um, and this ended up being the most elegant and straightforward solution. Um, and it all just stemmed from kind of preserving some of the original um, art vision and some of the quirks that developed uh, early on. Yeah, it reminded me a little bit of Fez in that regard, um, mm. rotating everything all around. But that was his key. That was the key thing about Fez, and then we all know that that game goes. It doesn't. You're not prepared when people start playing. Like, you have no idea what 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 what, what quagmire you're hurtling into with Fez, but. Uh, <laughs> Uh, um, but I mean, there's a game you can complete with 200%, which is not even a real number. But anyway, <laughs> point being, um, I just found it. There's a wonderful moment that I just realized that, well, I can rotate the cube and I see a person above on the upper level that I need to talk to. And I can just sort of like rotate the cube and then transfer myself right in front of them and go, hello. And I don't seem <laughs> particularly phased by the fact you suddenly materialize in front of them. You go, okay, I'm, I'm I'm freaking out about the weather. Okay, well, <laughs> I've just found out about this about the weather. What about day of tomorrow? Oh, God, fine. Um, but no, I just found it really um, elegant. You used that word, and it's, it's true. It is an elegant design decision to like because you don't want it to get in the way. You want it to be functional and also easy to understand and use. But you don't want it to be the anchor around which the game is built. It's just a thing that people can use to navigate the world that you've created. And you've done that. What's um, kind of interesting is that if you kind of think about it, eventually, almost all open world games get to this point in some fashion. Um, going back to like talking about Final Fantasy XIV, most of my interactions with that game now 
that unlocked most of the areas is fast travel. Um, so we essentially just got to the late game faster. Um, just kind of shortcutted you there and turned that into our key mechanic of exploration. Um, not to say that, you know, like, um, you should skip around necessarily all the time in open world games, but this, this one kind of distills that kind of like, oh, I want to get to this place and experience the thing, uh, as quickly as possible. Maybe, uh, have like some of those kid, um, uh, zoomies, whatever, like you just want to get there fast type of deal. Yeah. I mean, there is, there is that kind of innocence about the game and the, the kind of, uh, the, the people and what who you are. I think you're. It looks like you're preteen, sort of like sort of eight to ten year year old. I think I'm not sure what kind of age yeah. you're aiming at, but I think that's the kind of age that they are. Yeah, roughly uh, around that uh, around age. That kind of age, just before you start becoming, you know, staring at one's navel and painting your bedroom walls black, <laughs> <laughs> and you know, being to surly because that's you know that that if you want that, go play Life is Strange fine um, <laughs> but you know maybe that's the next thing you play after this like what happened to well the fennel well that that's what happened you know um but um next thing i want to talk about is another core component of of the game and we've already hinted at but uh there are a series of of what i've been described i did call them as mini games but that's a bit unfair because i think they are quite fleshed out as games in themselves um, but I just wanted to talk about I mean, the earliest one is is Gobabots, which is an extraordinary, looks like a big collectathon like um, MOBA like game. But um, how have you found designing these games um, uh, within Button City without sort of getting too far away from the core narrative? So <laughs> we we realized while working on Button City uh, that we. Well, I guess like kind of two things were happening at the same time. One, we were getting more involved with our local games community in terms of like playing uh, games at like our local uh, game retail shop. Um, and uh, at that time, we were also trying to figure out, well, what do we want with Button City? Because um, a lot of the times with like adventure games, uh, they just go, they can't, I shouldn't say just, they go very hard into like puzzles. Um and I guess we didn't necessarily want to go too super deep into like a, a puzzle adventure game. Um, but with Gobabots, like we were playing uh, other team based games like Splatoon and uh, we were dipping our toes into MOBAs, but kind of getting scared away from those as well from chat. But whatever. I'm not salty about that. Um, <laughs> um, but we wanted to kind of have this narrative like central point where you could kind of go back to and uh, have friends and have like a community around it. And we just kind of drew our uh, experiences with our, you know, friends uh, that we were, uh, you know, like uh, doing Splatoon tournaments with. Um, so we, we kind of structured it around like this kind of like tournament that's kind of going on in the background and, uh, you know, friend groups that kind of come around the arcade, things like that. Um, and just, we really liked the idea of, um, I don't know, just character dynamics that come from that as well. Um, like rivalries, friendships, new kid coming in, 
uh, experiencing this kind of like magical world of games and stuff like that. And then that kind of got also solidified when uh, a full on arcade came here uh, and opened up like really early in our development. And we started to experience that even more uh, with arcade games as well and forming communities around that um, as well. We we get to know a lot of that in the UK with like all these arcade sort of places springing up. And historically, they used to be at uh, in the seaside town. That's how in the UK mm. we'd have uh, arcades. But now that you know doesn't happen. But now all of a sudden, these in towns and cities across the UK, all these old people are restoring these arcade machines and not just putting them in museums. They're actually shoving them into like yeah, go off. Give us fifteen pounds or twenty dollars yeah. or what have you, and go yeah, knock yourself out. Go and play. You know, battle zone for a bit. Remember that? Oh, look, you can't get to the volcano. No one could. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it's 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 wonderful that you know all this. this, this thanks to restoration and people sort of rebuilding these machines and these main cabinets and all that kind of thing. It's just extraordinary. You know, if we told my ten-year-old self that this would be the future, I'd uh, I'd be be shocked. But. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and the fact that you've got that community sort of gravitating around. You're right, I do get that sense of, I mean, it's got, it could really relate to the exchanges that, that Fennel has with the, with the other characters. And there's so many wonderful characters in in the game. And uh, I can really relate to some of the exchanges. Like, you know, the, 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 the initiation was wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, go, go speak to that girl over there and do a thing. Like, okay. <laughs> so it's wonderful really really wonderful stuff it's um which um yeah it leads me on to um the uh the, the third question which is related to the second most flow into each other i've found when i design these questions but i found that button city is very much about the people in it rather than the world itself the world seems to be an adjunct to or happenstance, these creatures happen to exist in a strange world of made up of layers. And um, it seems to be Button City is anchored around the concept of these people, these characters, and what they find themselves doing and overcoming adversity. Um, what have you done during the design process of Button City to make sure that that spirit remains throughout the experience that this really is you know the games are wonderful and fun and the and the world is interesting and wonderful and colorful and definitely done the sega blue sky yay Um, (laughs) but um you know that's great but you know what do you what have you done to make sure that you don't drift too far away from that or maybe you never cared talk us through that so our character creation process was kind of interesting um, in that uh, Sean Dean would create a character and she'd just be like, oh, here's another character and then name them based off of like an herb or a spice, uh, mostly. Except Mr. Button, although he does have uh, his first name, Carozo, which is uh, like uh, a plant ivory or something like that. They call it the plant ivory. So. Uh, for buttons so it's like a multiple meaning in that name um but she would just create this character name them and then be like here you go ryan um there's a character and i'd be like okay 
what do they want? What are their anchors? How can we place them in this world? Um, you know, like, um, not necessarily to fit like a narrative role, but always, but, you know, just like, how can they uh, live in this world and just feel like they're part of it? Um, and a lot of the times I, uh, when writing them, I would think about like primarily their anchors. Like you were talking about Alfalfa, the, the little bear that is afraid of the weather. Yeah. Um, yeah that that bear honestly is a little bit like this sounds like deeper than it should but like it that bear does have a little bit of um my anxieties towards like climate change and stuff like that and like one of the one of the minor jokes in there is like uh, a reference to the movie day after tomorrow and it, it kind of references the weather in that so uh, like it's obviously like when you play it, like it doesn't seem like that. It's just a silly little bear, and, and like has these little anxieties about the weather. But you know, like I put these like little injections of like, oh, what are they worried about? With um with alfalfa, it's a little bit more you know like, oh, I don't know about this uncertainty and like uh, the weather and stuff like that. So his is a bit more upfront. Uh, with characters like um Chive, uh, she's you know like very and very uh forward and very smart um uh but you know she's young and she has to help out her family at the the store but uh her family is her grandparents so she's kind of like in this worry state of um oh i need to you know like take care of my grandparents but who's going to take care of me so she comes off a little terse at times with fennel it's like these little anxieties about um uh, I guess being lonely, um, uh, Sorrel, you know, growing up in, uh, hers is a bit more fun, but just like she gets hangry. Um, uh, so she has just like a lot of like passion, emotion and stuff like that. Um, and does metal yoga. So just, I thought a lot more about, um, anchors rather than like, I feel like I put in like the the sad stuff and then just made them like um overblown and it just makes it happy somehow in some odd way. Um but Shandine, did you want to talk about any of this or Sure. Um in the early stages, um we were able to spend more time like taking a the groups of characters and kind of bouncing them against each other, like the four main characters of the fluff squad uh, that Fennel's in and the tough fluffs. Uh, we were able to put them like side by side and kind of bounce them out. Um, like we had a friend, um, uh, she's a writer and she's a teacher um, and she kind of helped us uh, like guide some of that early decision-making um, when we showed her some of like the early scripts and who the characters were. Um, I thought that was really fantastic, just kind of like bouncing off ideas early on with some people and just seeing um, how these characters kind of like fit in together or how they didn't fit in together was a big one, too, um, and how they would challenge each other. And I think those dynamics um, really lined up and Ryan was able to run with them uh, throughout the entire process. So what I'm hearing from you both is that because you put so much effort and time into creating these characters and uh, it definitely shows um that that by you know by not by chance but by evolution by natural processes it it's obvious that they will come to the fore because that's where you put so much creativity and effort into making sure that these characters actually are you know they do have personalities and believe me, they do. Um, and uh, some of them are very 
you know, truculent initially and very sort of um, dismissive, and it, it'd take a while to 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 warm to them as they do to you. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's really lovely seeing that ice break uh, eventually when you're sort of chipping away at certain characters. Um, and uh, you know, when they're faced with adversity with you, they realise that um, you're actually worthy of their time. That's nice. But uh, no, it's it's you've done a really good job of that, and I just wanted to highlight this to to the listener that uh, Button City is about people. It's that's really is it's, it's called Button City it implies it's about the the world and the realm. It's not; it's just they happen to live there. So. Um, yeah, originally yeah, the <laughs> originally the game was called Fennel Fox, but. Uh, uh, I guess we centered it around Button City and like the community around it. Uh, and I think ever since, um, um, ever since we did kind of decide on the arcade, like we were like, oh yeah, arcade games are cool. But like, I think what we always wanted to like kind of get across is um, really like the community around it and like the friendships, you know, uh, that kind of come with community uh, and just being there for each other you know like just very like cheesy kind of cozy wholesome stuff but it's also like ah uh, you know like you kind of need that too you know yeah. my last question my last question i know all good things must come to an end but they do and here it is i can't not talk about this when it comes to button city because that's a thing that really took me by, not by surprise, but I got more engrossed in the more I played it. And that's the score. Mm. Uh, the music is really tied to everything that happens. <laughs> everything. You know, and this one of this is really good tune that whenever it's like, you know, the, the, there's an engagement with certain characters and they're, uh, 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 you know, the, the, the Tusk Squadron and they're like, you know, they're, they're, um, they're sort of engaged in some strategy or they're talking amongst themselves and there's just there's this thumping sort of beat to it. It's just so good. And I just <laughs> wanted, wanted to talk to you about how is the score developed for Button City? Can you talk us through that? Uh so the score was uh composed by Pedro Silva. Um they were extremely easy to work with. Um you know, like we would kind of describe a scene or like a mood or an idea or something like that. And they would come back to us with like uh, an initial demo. And more often than not, it was just like spot on, like what we wanted. Um, early on in our development, though, before Pedro came on to the uh, uh, to do the soundtrack, we were looking very much at um music like pico like uh the genre pico pop um there's probably a few other terms out there but um stuff like snail house slime girls things like that um hyper something i forget their name right now and we had like a playlist of kind of like the the sounds that we wanted um and pedro was uh won them in there uh as well um so when developing the game it was just very much it almost felt like um you know like uh you know uh scoring for a movie in some ways because you know button city is 
in some ways very cinematic. Um, but you know, like oh, you know, like we kind of want like a tough left theme. We kind of want a um, you know, like a Button City theme. We want a Fluff Squad theme. Um, and you know, like just kind of have like these feelings to it, very much like feeling driven. Um, uh, and yeah, they just they just ran with it and did amazing. Uh, two of my favorite songs in there um, are the Aromatics song, which is the concert that plays, and we wanted that from like the very 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 beginning because I used to be in a band. And uh, I just loved being up on stage. I love being a frontman. I love being a singer. And something that I always wanted my guitarist and bassist to do, but they never wanted to, was flip their guitars around their back. I'm like, we need a song where they do that. We need that. <laughs> so that was like a super selfish thing of me to like yeah. ask for, but I loved it. Um, responses. Do you have no idea how much this costs? Exactly. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> That's basically uh, where that comes from. Yeah, um, so um, uh, the Aromatic song is one of my favorites. And then the other one, which you get right away, is the intro song, uh, which was the last song that we got into the game because uh, we wanted like an anime-esque opening. Um, yeah. I was like, yeah. if Kingdom Hearts has it, we're doing it too. And Johnny <laughs> was like vibing with that. And then we made this uh, extremely like... 90s anime inspired like Rama one half inspired like intro and Shundin and Pedro really knocked it out of the park. Um yeah, uh yeah, they they did a really amazing job. Shundin, do you have any insights? Oh, I don't know. A lot of um a lot of what went into the the music and the cinematics and stuff was built, I think, built on um a lot of mutual trust and understanding, like just a collective vision. Um, I think Pedro was always on the same page with us. Um, and we really trusted what um, what they did and kind of like fit everything together in pieces. Um, like some of the songs um, we were like, oh, I'm not really sure what this would work for, but we kept them around. Then we found like perfect moments to slide them in because everything just still felt um cohesive and part of the same vision and worked very well together yeah it it's really complements the game of the visuals so so well and you just end up hearing scores and go oh they're talking to that person now or this is about to happen or it's just wonderful language crossover it's just extraordinary so yeah congratulations to all concerned because that was clearly a team effort in order to make that happen but it, clearly the composer really understood the game and that's important. So, Button City. It was developed by Subliminal. Where's the name of the company come from? Oh, uh, uh, <laughs> uh, so when I was 13 years old, I needed an email address. Um, and, and we, uh, um, I was hanging out with my friend Devin and we were watching a bunch of Disney movies. And then he's like, Hey, there's uh, a bunch of subliminal messages in Disney movies. I'm like, what? <laughs> so we looked up like all these like uh, subliminal messages in Disney movies. And you know, that was a time. And then uh, I was like, I need an email address. And he's like subliminal man. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> uh, so uh, I use that as like my Twitter handle now. Um, and but in high school, I was like, 
uh, my teachers were like, what are you going to do when you grow up? I'm like, I'm going to make video games and I'm going to have my own indie game company. I don't think I said indie at the time. Um, my voice did sound like that. My voice still sounds like that sometimes too. <laughs> um, and so, uh, back in like 2011 when we were like trying to actually like start up a company i was like okay it's gonna be called subliminal then i put some stupid parentheses in it and i'm still trying to change that but a child (laughs) named our video case a teenager teenager thank you a teenager (laughs) yeah um i like the name ish now but uh if i was to do it again um, yeah. I would like to do a more collaborative process instead of it being slightly named after a teenage version of myself. But yeah. I yeah. appreciate yeah. Uh, I super appreciate the team that we have. And I think that's what matters. And if we continue with subliminal, hey, I'm cool with that. But yeah, I <laughs> it's just one of those things. It's a wonderful story. We have, I always love answering, answering that question because we get some very interesting responses to it you can well imagine some of it is oh, we're in a pub <laughs> <laughs> and i think it was after pint number seven. Oh, okay <laughs> oh, okay just just go with that let's go with yellow pig be fine and then the next morning you realize you registered yellow pig and oh man and then all the <laughs> business cards have got pigs that are yellow on them and it's just you know <laughs> so yes, uh, Button City is out now. At the time of release of this podcast, he hastens to add because we're we're from the past. Everyone, hello, future. Hopefully, you future. know, flying cars and stuff. Hi. <laughs> so um, it's um, now. Do you want to rattle off the platforms it's on? Because I got into trouble once, and I had to edit myself. So one of you want to rattle this off? Sure. Uh, so Button City is coming out for PC on Steam, PC and Mac on Steam, uh, Nintendo Switch, uh, Xbox Series S and X, and PlayStation 5 on August 10th. If you are in the future listening to this, yeah, you could get it now. Um, and yeah. Yeah, well done. Most people actually say, you get it on Steam, and I have to say, but what what platforms? I said Steam, <laughs> no, seriously. Oh, right. Yeah, sorry, because we do. I mean, my laptop is a Mac, for example, so sometimes I play games on that. Not often, but sometimes when I'm traveling. Uh, but now that's the Switch that does that. But uh, And it's also on the current generation machines. I like that. That's good. Yeah. I, I do own those. I, I'm one of the few, happy few, that did actually get both on launch. My argument was, A, I knew what I was doing, and B, I have a job. <laughs> it requires yeah, me to own them so yeah for us my... we have the dev kits but we don't have the actual machines yet but uh, we'll get them uh, soon enough uh yeah. so i have to play my game on my switch instead but <laughs> <laughs> um yeah we were just looking to the future and being like well sure let's go with those <laughs> yeah no no it's it's really really good idea and uh yeah uh um you've been wonderful guests Thank you. Thank you for Thank having you. us. Thank you very, very much for, for being on, for being open and honest about the creation of Button City. And uh, you're more than welcome to come back because we've had a lot of return guests over the years. Trust me, I think our current record holder is four 
Wow. Mm. Yeah, they're Because they, they, they're prolific. They make a lot of games. And <laughs> uh, we're, we're, we're big friends of them. So it's good. So again, you're more than welcome to come back and chat about whatever next is you up. You have been listening your brain to Sausage Factory Cooking Away. Maybe even started working in it. It may be even Support a post-it note on a wall by US now. I don't know. At patreon.com uh, forward slash the meantime, rinse for thank early, you very much. extended and exclusive Thank you so topics. very much for having us. Thank Find you. us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Twitch, YouTube and at our website, canonrinse.com. <laughs> <laughs>